ask as we go to your word now that you would bless our time in it. That is, that we'd see your heart, in particular, your heart, in a greater way this morning. And that we'd also be so thankful for the mothers you've placed in our lives, whether they are biological, adoptive, spiritual, but all the ladies that you put in our life that have encouraged us in the faith and nurtured us, we're thankful for them. May you bless them on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and I've been thinking about Mother's Day, and we were going to do Matthew 6. And I was thinking about Matthew 6, which talks about uh, not doing your acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them. Otherwise, God will not reward you. So I was kind of thinking about that and how mothers do so many unseen things that the Lord can reward them for. But then I was also, so I started to think about what, is a, what does a mother's spiritual life look like? Well, what's that like? A mother's relationship between her and the Lord. And then I started thinking about um, Philippians 3.10 when uh, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how um, there are things in life that we learn by experiencing them. Things about the Lord that we can learn by experiencing them. And so I was thinking about motherhood and how, uh, and if you're taking notes, this is in your notes, how motherhood is an experience that gives us insight into the nature and the works of God. Like the video said, mothers, the purpose of motherhood to be to share the heart of God with your kids, with your spiritual kids, with other people. That, that mothers, by the very nature of motherhood, get a certain level of insight into the tender care of God for his children. I think about my own life, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away from all of the rest of us who are not mothers, because I think we can experience very similar kinds of things. I'm only saying that motherhood adds a layer to this that, 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 is, that is special, that ought to be recognized. So I'll give you my example. You know, we, we've adopted Grayson, and so we're adoptive parents. Adoption is an, an amazing biblical reality that the Father took us in. When we were his enemies, when we were not part of his family, he made us part of his family. And so I'm not taking anything away from anyone else's adopted relationship with God because we should experience that. Says the Holy Spirit lives in us and, and causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit wants you to be close to God, wants you to experience intimacy with God. But if you've adopted a child, I, I believe that provides a level of insight into what that looks like. Just, just that extra layer there. And it doesn't mean that I know God any more, any better than anyone else in this room. It just means that, that adoption piece gives me an experience of it. Which I think is beautiful. And, and so mothers, by the very nature that they are mothering, give a unique picture of what God does with his people. He mothers them. Now, Maybe that's not an image of God that we normally look at in the Bible. We call God Father. And yet there are feminine images of what God does with us. 
clearly feminine images for God. And I think that's very appropriate because when you look at Genesis, right, God made them male and he made them female. In other words, there's a difference. Men are not like women. Women are not like men. He made them different. And yet he says he made them in the image of himself, the image of God. And so you can't say that men clearly display that the perfect image of God. It doesn't work that way. And women can't say, no, no, our love and our nurturing, we, we display the image of God. It doesn't work that way. It's men and it's women displaying his image. And nobody's got the corner covered on displaying his image to the world. Men do it. Women do it. And I believe they do it a little differently. But they do it. Which I think is another reason why marriage is a beautiful thing. Thinking of yesterday's ceremony, you know, where a husband and a wife come together. And again, they can image God to other people as one flesh. Pretty cool. So even though we don't often talk about or or look specifically at these feminine images for God, I believe we should. That's just being biblical. They're there to help us. They're there to help us see God for who he is. And so you'll notice, I'm not, I want to be biblical. I'm not going to call God mother. I want to to avoid going that direction because Jesus called him father. So I want to be biblical. But you could also make the argument, God is spirit. Does spirit have gender? You know, should, should we talk like this? I want to talk the way Jesus talked. I think that's fair enough. But I want to recognize that our heavenly father has these feminine attributes that are beautiful. And that, and that are so valuable in the life of each of his adopted children. So I want to look particularly at Isaiah, because Isaiah has four of them, and they are just, they're awesome. So uh, if you would turn first to Isaiah 42, verse 14. We're just going to stay in Isaiah, so you can just keep your finger there the whole time. These images, by the way, are throughout the Bible, but interesting, there's some really powerful ones in this book. Isaiah 42:14. Before I read this, just a little little piece on Isaiah that might be helpful for us. Um, Isaiah is 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 a book written by a prophet who um, was writing to the nations of Israel and Judah, and they were very unresponsive to a lot of his ministry. They didn't want to hear it. There was stubbornness. There was idolatry. And so you've got a good third of Isaiah. I'm using rough estimates here. A good third of Isaiah is written to the people in Israel and Judah and like, what are you doing? You know, like, why are you so stubborn of heart? Why the idolatry? And then you've got another third of Isaiah that's like written for the exiles. So Isaiah says, God's going to judge you for this sinfulness. He's going to judge you for walking away from him. You're his people, and he's going to bring discipline to you, and you're going to be taken away from the land. Babylon's going to come in here and take over. And so you've got about a third of Isaiah that's kind of like, there's tough times coming. And so you can imagine one of the exiles during the time of Babylon reading Isaiah and going, it happened. It happened. The people of Isaiah's time were warned this would happen, and now it happened. we got about a third of this book that's like, this is where we ended up. And then you've got a last third 
that's like this. But God's going to restore everything. He'll fix it. You're going to return to Him, and He's going to lead you in His ways. He's going to lead you into life eternal with Him. And so you have this beautiful ending to the book of Isaiah, again, about roughly a third, where God's saying, I'm not going to forget you. You're my people. So as we read these passages today, we're mainly kind of in the, the middle third where he's talking to the exiles and like, I know, I know you feel like God has abandoned you, but just wait. We're, we're kind of in the middle third of Isaiah. That's why I talk about the, the rough, a really rough outline before we jump in. Okay, so if you look at Isaiah 42:14, here it is. <clears throat> God says, For a long time I've kept silent. I've been quiet and I held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and hills. I will dry up all their vegetation. I'll turn rivers into islands and dry up their pools. I'll lead the blind by ways they've not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them, and I will make the rough places smooth. These are the things I'll do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. So again, you've got this word to the exiles that are like, yeah, we messed up. When, O Lord, are you going to turn this thing around? You know, when are you going to save us? Because we know we've been stupid. We know we've left you, but now we're ready for you to help us. And this is how God describes it. He says, it's a lot like a woman in childbirth. This is verse 14. He says, I've been silent for a long time. Okay? Now, any of you that have experienced childbirth, and I'll include you husbands in this, it's the waiting game, right? You're waiting for that moment. The water breaks. It's time to start the labor, you know? And, and, and you don't know the hour it's going to happen, unless you're induced, but that's a different thing. <laughs> but I'm saying, for many of us, you don't know the hour the day or the hour. Will it be before nine months? Will it be at nine months? Will it be after? We just don't know. But God knows. And so there's a time of, of waiting and silence. And sometimes that's the experience of us. That, that we go through these times as believers where it's like, God, where's your power? Where's the answer to this prayer? Why does it seem like your timing is way too slow for me? You've been there. If you're not there now, you will be there. Where it seems like God's timetable and yours is just not lining up. And why won't he step in? So God says, I know how that is with you. I know how it is to be waiting. But guess what? Like a mother going into labor, one, one moment there's not labor, and the next moment, there is. And this is, the, this is the image God wants to leave with us. I've been quiet, this is verse 14, I held myself back, but now like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant, and then he says what he's going to do, he's going to lay waste to these mountains, he's going to level mountains and hills, I think with the idea that, that his people who have been blind can now be led in his paths. He's going to level the mountains and the hills. So, okay, What's he saying? He is breathing out his power 
like a woman in childbirth. If you've been in the room, as I have, three times over, you know, there's that, there's that strong breath, right? They teach you how to breathe during pregnancy. There's that breathing. There's the pushing. There's the crying out. And God says, with all of these breaths, it's like his mighty power being breathed out for us. That's number one. That's number one. The Lord breathes out his mighty power. He, he exhales, and, it, and, it's, and it's powerful. And you that have been in the delivery room, and you that are mothers in particular, you know all that energy that has to go into that, right? Every last ounce is there to get this child into the world, right? This blessing, this gift. But, but to bring the gift out, you've got to exert all this energy. You've got to breathe these deep and strong breaths. And God says, that's the way it is with my people. You're waiting on me. You're praying to me. And when the moment is right, I will breathe out my power. And I'm going to lead blind people across mountains that have been leveled. I'm going to dry up water. So what he's saying is, I think, blind people, you don't drop a blind person into the woods and expect them to figure their way out. You know, that doesn't work well. But if God is leveling trees, if he is wiping things out and making the path straight, then even the blind will know where to go. He'll make darkness like light. So, so whatever, whatever that insurmountable thing that you've been praying about seems like, God's like, I know how that is. And perhaps one day, he's going to level that mountain and exert his energy like a woman in labor. Women then, mothers, know a thing or two about the power of God. And I know, we're just blowing through stereotypes there. We think of men as warriors, you know, and they, women know a thing or two about the mighty power of God. And it's always in his time, just like the labor. It's always in his time. Number two, would you look at Isaiah 49, 14? Isaiah 49, 14. We're still in the middle chapters of Isaiah, that middle third for the exiles. It says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Number two is, the Lord always, always, always remembers his children. He could never forget them. He always remembers them. For the exiles, I'm sure they looked back at the sinfulness of their nation and they thought, we, we have wandered so far from God. He must be done with us. We're living in Babylon now, you know? And God must, he, he just must be so frustrated with us. So frustrated that he's forsaken us. Have you felt that? I remember... Uh, I remember going to a youth ministry conference in Chicago 
and I took a group a group of students, and there was a young man there that was it seemed powerfully touched by God, and he was so excited. And the conference wasn't one of those like just easy spiritual high conferences. It was one of those like we're training you in the Bible and we are worshiping together and we're challenging you to share your faith with your friends. It was it was a challenging conference. I'll never forget him talking about his burden for his friends. I remember one time uh, we stayed at uh, we were staying at Wheaton College for this conference. I remember we were in the dorms and we were in the showering area and I'm like washing my hands in the sink and this, and this guy is like in the shower and he's talking to me about what God has been doing, you know, and, and what he's been learning. And I'm like, guys just don't talk in the shower like that, you know, like you just don't do that. Just shower and, and take care of it and we'll talk later. But he's like in the shower, you know, and, and he's talking to me about what God is teaching him. And I'm like, this is just so cool, you know, this is so cool. And, and then we came, you know, back, and he, he, he got involved in my small group, and, and things, were, things were happening. And then something changed. I don't remember when it changed, but something changed. And, and maybe that was his friends who began to influence him more than the opposite. But his love seemed to really cool off. And I remember talking to his dad about it. And his dad said, I see it too. And I'm concerned. Do you think we could sit down together and talk? Yeah, let's do that. I'll never forget sitting at a table in a restaurant with, with the student and his dad. And we're talking about what, what happened. What's been going on in this last year that has led to this cooling off of your faith? And, and I'll never forget his father standing up and going uh, to the bathroom. And so it was just the two of us sitting there. And suddenly I was hit with this, ask him, ask him about that day when he was in the shower, like talking, you know, to you about how much you love the Lord. Ask him about that. And so I asked him, I said, what happened? You know, do you remember that day in the Wheaton bathroom with, with all those things you said? And, and he said, uh, I don't remember that. I really don't remember that conversation. And I was reminded of how Satan in the parable of the sower can can just pluck things out, you know, that were like in your mind and just take it. I remembered the verse, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. I mean, all these things are hitting me and uh, I... I don't know. Some of you are here, and maybe you're even here for your mothers because she wanted you in church. Maybe some of you have wandered far, far away from the faith that was of your childhood or the faith of your adolescent years, but you found yourself far, far from God. You You haven't necessarily denied Him, but... You're just, he seems so distant. This is God's word for you this morning. How could I forget you? How could I forget you? This is, this is, the, um, this is the verse. 
Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So God says, even if it was possible for a mother to say, I'm going to forget about this child that I've nursed. By the way, we all know, I mean, that image, I, I, I gave our kids bottles. You know, I, I held them and I held the bottle up. But from everything that I've heard, there is a special bond when a mother feeds her child, whether nursing or bottle feeding, and looks into the child's eyes. You know, there, there, there's, some, there's a special bond there. And you mothers know that. And God says, I, you're my child. I looked at you as I nursed you. I, I looked into your eyes. No matter how far you could have gone from me, I could never, ever, ever forget you. So the word of God for you that find yourself far from him today is, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. He looked you in the eye as a child and says, you're mine. Now won't you come back to me? I could never forget. Number three, would you look at Isaiah 66, verse 12? Isaiah 66, verse 12. This is the last chapter of Isaiah. This is kind of when you're in the whole... I'm going to restore you. You know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to be gracious and loving to you. This is, this is the last part of Isaiah. Isaiah 66, verse 12. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream you will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So all of the bad things that would happen to Jerusalem, God says, I'm going to comfort you over that. Yes, you made this mess. You sinned. You left me. Other nations came in. But I'm going to comfort you over all of that. And so we know, mothers, one of the things you do well is you bring comfort to your children. You know, uh, I, I remember times when um, my kids have fallen or, they, or they've cut themselves and, you know, they're bleeding all over. And, and I've always been amazed, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm not heartless, but, <laughs> you know, Christy could, could hold our kids and they'd be like bleeding on her. And I'm like, you're getting your shirt all bloody, you know, like that's not good, you know. And she's this guy, I don't care, you know. I want to comfort my child and they can bleed all over me, you know. And I've got the peroxide out like it's not going to sting a bit, you know. <laughs> I'm terrible, I'm terrible. <laughs> Just did that to Braden last week. It's not going to hurt a bit. Put your arm up there like a man. <laughs> but But mothers... Mothers, you pick up your kid with the mud and the dirt and the blood and all of that. You don't turn away from them. You have compassion on them. You feel for them. And God sees us even in the mess that we ourselves have made, right? I made this mess. I'm sitting in it. And God says, 
I just want to take you into my arms and bring you comfort. How could a mother not want to comfort even if the mess was made by the child? Have you seen those YouTube videos where the kid spreads flour all over the house, you know, and like everything's plastered with flour, you know, and you think, what did the mother say when she saw that in her house? You know, like, but I bet she kept on loving her kids. We've done this. We've rebelled. And we may pay for the rest of our lives with some of the things we've done. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have his arms open saying, you're mine. And I want to comfort you in all these things. Uh, And finally, oh, let me say this too about the comfort. You know, I talked about flour over the house, bloody knees. Adults, adults don't get bloody knees, right? You know, I mean, or if we do, we don't need the comforter, right? We just kind of clean ourselves up. Adults have adult-sized pains, right? He's used, I love this because God is using a child-mother analogy to talk to adults. Like, adults, you're scraped up. And we know there's hundreds of ways for adults to get scraped up. And the pain goes so deep. But God's comfort goes deeper. So don't lose the analogy with the bloody knees. Um, the analogy is we've, we've got our own stuff. Finally, Isaiah 46. Uh, if you go back a few pages to Isaiah 46, uh, verse 3. Last image we'll get today. Actually, you ought to start in verse 1 to get the whole context. Isaiah 46, 1. He's talking about other gods. And he says, uh, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low, their idols are borne by beasts of burden, the images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. This is the point. Idols, if an idol has to go from city A to city B, how does the idol get there? You put it on a cart, hitch a horse up to it, and you have to carry it. You know, maybe even people, the priests have to pick up the idol, move it into the temple, and now we get to worship it. Isn't that great? We had to move it, now we have to carry it, and God says, listen how it is with me. Listen, O house of Jacob, you who remain in the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld, all right, not us lifting the idol, he lifting us, I've upheld since you were conceived. I've carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I've made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Again, mothers, you carry a child for nine months. The baby's born, and then you carry that child around. I mean, that child depends on you. You can't eat on his own, can't drink. You're doing that. You're carrying. Both in the womb and outside the womb, you've carried a child. And God says, there's many idols that we have to carry around, you know? If your idol's wealth, you've got to work hard to be wealthy. you probably got to step on a few people. You are serving that money. What's it really going to do for you? If, if you're serving some sort of, of pleasure, something that makes you feel good, You've got to do things for that. You've got to serve that pleasure. You've got to serve that sin. 
And that's the way it is with our idols. We, we have to bow down to them. Anything we replace with God, we have to serve that thing to get something out of it, right? You've got to serve that thing. But God says, I am the only one actually who carries you. And you may think your idols are carrying you. You're carrying them, actually. You may think money's serving you. You're serving it. It's actually just the opposite. And with God, you don't carry him. He carries you. And like a mother carries a child in the womb, like a mother carries a child on her hip, God carries you from birth to death, to your gray hairs, it says, and then into eternity, because it also says, I'll rescue you, right? I'll rescue you from your sin. So listen to me. If you're here, and you're hearing about God's great rescue, you're hearing about his motherly love for you, hear this. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to rescue you. Because he wants to carry you through this life into eternity. That's the message for you if you don't know him yet. Would you receive him? Would you accept him? He wants to carry you. He wants you to stop carrying the stuff that you think is important. And let him pick you up. Let me pray. And then I want to give us a time to respond. And and lest I forget... When this service is over, we will take an extra benevolence offering. That's for special needs in this community. So the ushers will be at the door, just so you know what's going on with that. But I want to give you a chance to bless your mothers this morning. Um, I want to just ask, what has your mother done to bless you? And if you want to get even more specific, try answering this question. How has your mother shown you the heart of God? How has your mother shown you the heart of God? I think I'm going to try the cordless mic again. We'll see. We'll see. Otherwise, you just be loud. All right? So I'm going to run back here and grab it. And think for a moment. How has your mother showed you the heart of God? We good? Give her a shot? Okay. Awesome. Would someone like to start us out? Is that you, Ashlyn? Do you want to talk? You don't? Okay, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Who would like to go? Thank you. Nope. Never mind. Just be loud. Just be loud. Uh, the video that we watched in the-